From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Many of us have been putting off non-essential visits to doctor's offices during the pandemic. Now, the American Academy of Pediatrics is urging parents not to put off well-child visits. I'm talking about this with Dr. Stephen Blatt. He's a professor of pediatrics who oversees the Pediatric and Adolescent Center at Upstate. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Blatt. Thank you. Now, during this time when schools have been closed and most people have been at home, have you seen a drop in the number of kids coming for well-child appointments? So our office and every other office in central New York and actually nationwide has seen a dramatic drop. Um, most of it has been planned. Um, so when COVID first hit, um, back in March, pretty quickly at Upstate, we started to plan for what we saw coming down the road. And what, one of the things that we wanted to focus on were patients that had to be seen because there was something clinically significant or medically necessary, as well as time sensitive. So in pediatrics, um, one of the most important things we do occurs in our well-child visits. And we looked at those and we broke them down into two big categories. So for the older kids, those well-child visits by and large focus on um, a lot of um, educational things, family things, growing up things, as well as physical health. And for most of those kids, putting those visits off for a month, three months, four months is not a big deal. We don't wanna forget them, but to put them off is not problematic. For the younger kids, that's where things really become clinically significant and time sensitive. And it's just starting at birth. We obviously, have always been going to the nursery when we have newborns and we see them the day they're born. And then when they leave the hospital, we have them come back the first week to um, check on their weight, look for jaundice, make sure the feeding is going well, they're peeing and pooping okay. So those visits we kept on doing. And then pretty quickly we get into the immunization schedule. And when we look at newborns, their first immunization is in the nursery. And then we typically immunize at two months, four months, six months, a year, 15 months of age. And it's a lot of immunizations, but they are so important because the diseases for which kids are protected from with these immunizations are still out there. And the last thing we wanna do is not give a kid their immunization because we're worried about COVID and then have them get a different shot, get another disease that's out in the community. So for the younger kids, we, we maintain that um, well-child schedule and, and have not altered that at all. So with the immunizations, two months, four months, six months, if you put those off for a few months, I mean, these have to be done in sequence, right? And there's a certain amount of time between them. Does it mess it up if it gets delayed? So um, just to be clear, we don't put those off. But for when kids do fall behind, 
what it does is it doesn't change the schedule. We catch them up as soon as we can. But what it does do, it puts them at risk for getting the disease. So currently, it seems like a long time ago, but it was only last year that we had a measles outbreak in New York State and in this country because kids were not getting immunized with measles. So we know there's lots of measles out there. And the first measles shot is at a year of age. So up to a year of age, they're protected by maternal antibody. So if we did not give a 12-month-old a measles shot, they could get measles at 13 months of age. And that could be more devastating than COVID. Um, we know there's a lot of pertussis, whooping cough out there. And we saw a couple of kids in our office not too long ago who had pertussis. Um, and they were not immunized on time. So timely immunizations are so important, they're so effective, they have minimal and rare side effects. So they're very safe and they prevent against disease that we see fairly routinely. So before uh, this coronavirus was known, parents have been sort of wary of bringing their well child to the pediatrician because there may be sick children there with anything that they don't want their child to get. Does this virus, is, does that change things with coming to the pediatrician's office? You, you know, it, it's fascinating to look at um, people's behavior. And I think when I, we started, I was worried about what people were gonna do. And after living this for the last few months, I've been so impressed with parents and their decision-making ability in, in how to take care of their kids with COVID. And, and let me share a few things. Um, if you look at our emergency rooms um, at Upstate, and we have two hospitals, we have an urgent care, and also looking at our sick visits, patients have been really good, parents have been really good about not rushing to the emergency room or to the office for things that could be handled over the phone. So I was on call this weekend and a parent called me up and we talked about her 11 month old with fever and some crankiness. And when we, I was all done hearing from the mother and we talked about it, I said, well, I think this could be treated at home or we could arrange for you to go to after hours at Community General. And she said, you know, with COVID, I'd just rather stay at home. And I said, I think that's a fine idea. And I think before COVID, she might've wanted to go into the emergency room or after hours to be seen, which is also okay. But I think parents understand um, we shouldn't do unnecessary travel, unnecessary visits. So. So parents have been really good with that. And in fact, the volume in the emergency rooms for kids and adults is way down. So today is May 12th, and, and I saw that at Upstate, our emergency rooms have been running at about half capacity for adults and kids. So emergency rooms are way down, and, and that's a good thing right now. Um, the other thing that we're doing in our office, and and I know pediatricians are doing throughout the community, and, and I'm sure the adult doctors are doing also, is we change the way we take care of people. So in our office, 
we schedule as much as we can through telehealth. And for those that don't know about telehealth, it could either be done um, through a, a typical um, phone conversation, but even better, it's done over the computer or you could, the patient could have a phone so we could see people. And we've done a lot of telehealth visits. Um, I saw data again today for Upstate and about three quarters of the visits in the institution are done via telehealth. In primary care pediatrics in our office, we're down to about 25% because we do more in office, but a lot of the specialists do telehealth. And that keeps people out of the office that don't need to come in, but it also gives people access to their healthcare provider for things that they need. So for pediatrics, one of the things where it works really well are for things like um, behavior follow-up. So we have a lot of children on medication for attention deficit disorder, or they have issues with anxiety or depression, and those visits work really well over telehealth. Um, you could see the patient, what they look like. You know, you can see if you're smiling or not smiling. And you could, you're able to communicate with them almost as if they're sitting in front of you. It's still not as good, but it's pretty good. And it keeps them home. And people know they should stay home and we want to keep them home. So then what happens in the office, we have a lot less people that are physically here. And our goal in the office is when a patient comes in, they never see another patient in the office. We have in our office 24 exam rooms. Our waiting room is almost always completely empty. So a patient comes in, they don't see anybody. And it's rare to have somebody actually sitting in a chair. If somebody's there, they're standing at the desk waiting to, be, to go into a room. Um, and we actually took out most of the chairs in the waiting room to make sure that if you sit in a chair, you're going to be six feet apart from somebody else. And then even when you check out, you no longer have people start up at, stop at the checkout desk. You do the checkout in the exam room, and then they just walk right out of the office. When they walk into the building, they're met by screeners to see if they have fever and if they have any symptoms. Everybody gets a mask. Um, we use gallons of hand sanitizer. And so we make this as safe as possible for all of our patients. And I know my colleagues in the community do similar things. Some of them, they'll see the well patients in the morning, the sick patients in the afternoon. Some people that have two offices will have the sick patients go to one office, the well patients to another. So every, everybody's doing what works in their office to make it safe. And I think it's really important for people to know that and I feel comfortable saying this, that in this community, if you need to go to the emergency room, if you need to go to the doctor, it's safe to do so. You should not be fearful of going to the doctor because I think all of the healthcare offices have done a really good job in ensuring safety, not just for the patients, but also for the people that work there. We want to keep everybody healthy. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Stephen Blatt. He's the director of the Upstate Pediatric and Adolescent Center. What are you advising parents to do if their child develops a fever and a cough? 
For children, it's a different answer than it is for adults. As far as we know, children are going to get COVID in similar rates as adults. However, they're not going to act the same as adults. So most of the kids that get COVID don't have a lot of symptoms or the symptoms that they have seem very similar to the other childhood illnesses they get. So kids are always getting colds. Kids always have a runny nose and a cough. I, don't know, I, I have a little cough. I'm, I always have a tickle in my throat. I'm not ill, but I always have a little cough. But kids always have one. And so for kids, if they have the symptoms that we worry about in COVID, such as cough or fever or sore throat, that may be COVID or that might be one of the viruses that they typically get. So if they're not having any difficulty breathing, if they're not all that ill apparent, parents are, are, are best advised to call their doctor and say, here's what's going on, what should I do? For the vast majority of those kids, if they're acting well, we keep them at home. It's only for the kids where people are worried that we bring them in or their symptoms sound more severe that we may want to see them. But a, a cough, a sore throat, and runny nose in a kid is treated the way we always do, which is we try to keep them at home and do home treatment. Um, the thing that people should realize is that when kids have those symptoms, even though I'm saying stay at home, we should also assume they have COVID. So we, we don't need to do anything for them, but we, that's, those are precisely the kids we do not want to go visit grandma because they may have COVID and spread it you know, to somebody else. Kids are, are often silent carriers. They, they have the disease, they have a little bit of symptoms, a little cough, but they're not that sick. So people aren't worried about them because everybody misses their kids, their grandkids. Um, but those are the ones that are gonna get other people sick. So we still need to continue social distancing and isolating in homes. So there's a lot of talk about and fear about pediatric multi-system inflammatory disease. What do parents need to know about that at this point? So this is, you know, it seems like every week there's some new scary aspect of COVID coming up. And, and, and this is the newest one, and it's seen just in children. Um, and it's only been identified publicly for the, for the last maybe two weeks. So we're still learning about this. The most recent report I saw said there's still only about 75 to 100 cases that have been identified. And what this is seems to be um, a multi-system, so it, it, it involves different parts of the body, disease that seems different than regular COVID. COVID, we tend to think of a respiratory illness um, or this multi-system inflammatory disease. Kids could present with fever, rash, red eyes, belly pain. They may only have a little bit of a cough or a little bit of shortness of breath but it's a different type of illness. But all of those symptoms you listed are things that might alarm a parent anyway. They may be calling their pediatrician anyway. Correct. Okay. Correct. And, 
and um, I, and I hesitant to give two two specific recommendations because I think this is a changing entity. We don't know what it really is yet. So I think the best thing to do, if you see symptoms in your in your child that look unusual, including the rash, the red eyes, the belly pain, call your doctor and and, and talk to your doctor. You know, doctors have a, I mean, we're all working. I've been to the office every day since this started. Um, but we have plenty of time to talk to our patients. We're not seeing as many patients in the office as we did before. So do not hesitate to call your doctor. If you have a question, especially with unusual symptoms, call your doctor and say, here's what's going on. Do I need to worry? In terms of helping children cope, because we've heard about how resilient children tend to be, but in terms of helping them cope with this pandemic and the and how life has sort of been turned upside down, do you have any advice for parents? So everybody struggles with COVID. Whether you go to work every if you go to work every day, you're worried, am I gonna go sick? If I get sick, am I gonna bring it home? If you don't go to work, you're at home saying, I'm going nuts, I'm home all day, I want to get out and do something. And kids are the same. Um, they want to get out, they want to run around, they want to play with their friends. Um, but kids are, um, they're really smart and they're very perceptive. And I think the best thing for kids is to start by talking to them, whether it's your three-year-old or your 13-year-old or your 18-year-old. We know adolescents don't like to listen to us, but they do hear us. And, and, I, and I think the evidence is pretty clear that the people that adolescents trust the most are their parents. Doesn't mean they're gonna do what we ask them to do, but they'll hear us. And I, and I think by talking to them, that's very reassuring and to all of our kids, no matter what age. So I think that's the first thing and explaining to them why we're doing what we're doing. Um, everybody likes routine, and as much as kids complain about school, they really miss it. The worst student in school misses going to school because that's where their friends are. You know, many of them, their support systems are not only their friends, but it's their teacher, it's their coach, it's the school social worker, and they don't have access to them. Luckily, every school in town in central New York is making efforts to to reach out to their kids. And I think that's an important resource. Um, so parents should also know that they can reach out to the, to the school. They could contact the school and say, how do I get in touch with that coach or with that social worker, with that teacher? And that's really important. There are many agencies in town that have always been there and they're still there waiting to help people. Um, there's 211, you pick up the phone and dial 211, and that's particularly helpful for mental health issues, for um, young kids um, with resources. Um, and there are a lot of agencies that have always been out there. The, the neighborhood centers are still there, um, the physician offices, the counseling agencies, all the counseling agencies are doing, telehealth, telecounseling. So there's still a lot of resources out there, too many to list by name, but people are still there. Um, I've had meetings with 
different mental health agencies in town, some from the county. Uh, our, our county has a lot of wonderful resources, and most of those folks are working from home, but they're all working. A lot of people are still working. Well, thank you so much to Dr. Stephen Blatt, a professor of pediatrics and the director of the Upstate Pediatric and Adolescent Center. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.